Cairo, Seattle. Hi, friends. We are back with a brand new episode today after making the decision to pause the podcast last week. With the entire country mourning George Floyd and people protesting in 50 states, it just didn't feel right to release an episode. I was upset. I was angry. I was sad. And releasing a fun, entertaining food show just felt disrespectful. It also just felt like a distraction. I felt like we needed to read more to get uncomfortable, to really feel bad about what's happening in this country and not escape it by listening to a podcast about macaroni and cheese. Now, obviously, the protests haven't ended. The injustice hasn't ended, but we are going to get back to making new shows. But one fun thing that came out of last week was I discovered a bunch of food podcasts that are created by black women. You can find a link to those in the show notes, and I hope you check them out. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope you're safe. Let's start the show. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor and Emmy Award-winning Food Network host, Valerie Bertinelli. Her show, Valerie's Home Cooking, just kicked off its newest season, but her big break was on a show called One Day at a Time that aired from 1975 to 1984. Now, don't be fooled by the name of this show. It was not a soap opera. You went from soap opera star to Food Network star. Can you talk about how you made that transition? Um, well, I was never on a soap opera, but I um, I was on a comedy. Okay, that's my mistake and shows my age because I always thought One Day at a Time was a <laughs> name. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's cool. I'm, that's not the first time someone has said that to me. Absolutely not. You know, I even looked up the show and you're such a little baby in those first pictures. You're so cute. I am. I am. I was like 15 years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so embarrassing. This is the first question that I asked this woman. <laughs> and I'm so glad that she was gracious and she laughed at me because I was dying inside. I am proud of you, Rachel, for including this. You could have easily omitted your gaffe and you didn't. Valerie grew up eating her Italian grandmother's homemade pasta which gave me the perfect excuse to interview someone I've been wanting to interview, Vicki Benison. She is the creator of Pasta Grannies. It's a YouTube channel, it's an Instagram feed, and it's a beautiful cookbook. And I'm not just saying that, I'm, I'm obsessed with this cookbook that just won a James Beard Award. Vicki accidentally created her own dream job. She travels all around Italy, filming grannies who are everyday cooks, and documenting them as they make regional homemade pastas in their kitchens. Like the British talk about weather, but the Italians talk about food. So whole conversations about um, what they had, what they will have. The conversation kind of just flows along food in a way that it never does in the UK. Lots of pasta talk is coming up. So make sure that you have at least a box of, I don't know, I don't care if it's like a dollar box of pasta from the grocery store, because I guarantee you by the end of this episode, you are going to want to be eating pasta. But first, my interview with Valerie Bertinelli. So I want to talk about growing up and eating and cooking. Um, you have the best Italian name. I understand that your grandma and, of course, your mom were a big influence in your cooking as a kid and growing into a cooking adult. Yes. I've always cooked at home. I've always, you know, watched my mother and my nanny and my aunts and all the inventiveness that they would do with their recipes and all that delicious, yummy Italian food. And I've just always loved it. Definitely my mom's lasagna, really great cheesecake. My grandmother's fried bread or the gnocchi or the capelletti and brodo, um, her crescia, 
the smells can take me back to my Aunt Adeline's basement watching my noni cook. Valerie was married to Eddie Van Halen for about 20 years. And then when I met Ed's mom, Mrs. Van Halen, who happened to be Indonesian and Dutch, I learned a lot from her, too. All of those really spicy, wonderful um, sambal goreng and pisan goreng and gado gado and bami, all those really wonderful dishes. Um, She taught me a lot, too. After Valerie wrote a cookbook sharing the Italian recipes that she grew up with, she approached the Food Network and said, Would you be interested in maybe doing a show where I travel around Italy and find out all of the recipes and, and my ancestry and how that, that all came about? And they said, well, no, we we're not interested in that, but would you do a morning kitchen show in the kitchen, ITK? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll do that. You mean the way that, you know, Pioneer Woman and Ina and Rachel's 30-Minute Meals and Giada, those kind of things? They said, yep. So, yeah, that was... Very, very exciting. And here we are five years later. And I want to talk about behind the scenes of what it's like making a cooking show, because when you watch it, everything is like so neat and tidy and, you know, it goes in the (laughs) oven, it comes out. So 10 seasons. That is a lot, a lot of recipes. Do you come up with these menus by yourself? Do you have a team? What's kind of the process for deciding what you're going to cook on the show each week? I have the most amazing culinary staff. They're crazy talented. I have a terrific uh, recipe developer and tester. She lives in Houston. And we all get on the phone months and months and months before we actually start shooting the show when we talk about the different episodes we're going to be doing, what they're about, and what we want to eat and what we want to make. And then I keep a running list on my notes section on my phone of different inspiring ideas that I'll have um, throughout the year, what I'm interested in, what I might want to like cook. And I'll start saying, I want to do this. What show do you think we can fit this into? I haven't done my stuffed cabbage yet. And then they'll come at me with different ideas. Like, we haven't done fish in a while. Let's do a fish. And I'm like, how can we make it interesting? And my culinary producer, she said, well, what if we do a cashew topping? And it happened to be the most amazing fish. And that's going to be on the first episode coming back with Angela Kinsey. But yeah, we do a lot of talking, a lot of developing, and then a lot of testing and tasting. Valerie is living the American version of an Italian life. Lots of food talk all the time and hopefully not much talk about the boring weather. That's one of the worst things about living in Seattle is people like to talk about the weather all the time here. Let's talk about spaghetti instead. Like, you know, rainy with a chance of meatballs. When we come back, Valerie shares her last meal. And then we get to talk about everyone's favorite food, pasta. I mean, it right every who if you don't like pasta, I don't like you. Get out. Get out. What would your last meal be? That is such a hard question. I know. Such a hard question because there's so many things I love. So many meals I love, uh, pasta alla vongole, pizza, any kind of pizza. But I guess if I really, 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 really had to choose, I think I'd have to go back to my nonni's capaletti and brodo. There is something about that that it, it just, I remember the first time I had it in decades, Nancy Silverton's restaurant, Moza. They had a version of it and I ate it and I felt like I was back in my Anna Adeline's basement and my noni had just pushed the bowl right in front of me at six or seven years old. It made me cry in the restaurant. So I guess I'd have to go back to that. 
remembering the way she would, you know, form the beautiful little capillettes with her thumbs and she made it look so easy and and the broth. It's just such a simple, beautiful dish. And then the last time I went to see my Aunt Adeline before she passed, she had, oh my God, baggies and baggies and baggies full in her freezer because she loves, loved to make them. And I looked at her freezer and went, oh my God, Aunt Adeline, if only I could take these home with me. And she gave me the recipe and I've made it a few times, but it's just not the same. I, I want those women surrounding me again and they're all gone. It's sad. So I, I would love to have that as my last meal sitting with them. Can you explain for people who don't know what Capoletti and Brodo is? Capoletti and Brodo is this beautiful little pasta stuffed with three different types of meat. I think my noni used a pork chop, a chicken breast or a turkey breast, and a little bit of beef or a steak. And she chopped all those up, put them in through a grinder, and she made that. And it's very simple, very, very minimal seasoning. And then it's this beautiful broth. It's either a beef broth or a chicken broth. This beautiful, hearty bone broth that they make. And that's it with a little sprinkling of shaved Parmesan on top. It's the simplicity and yet the complexity of this beautiful dish just fills your mouth with joy. Or at least it fills my mouth with joy. And for your version, I think it has to be undersalted because you're just going to cry in it. So you're just bringing your own salt to the table. It's <laughs> yes, true. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm the little um, sad one in, uh, what is that, Inside Out, that beautiful cartoon? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love that movie so Me much. Me too. Me yeah. too. I'm a version of, you know, of those two characters, the happy and the sad. And that is me to a T. Is it true that you still have your grandma's rolling pin? I do. I have a lot of my mom's old recipes and recipe cards, and um, I cherish them. I feel like we're going to miss out. We're already missing out right now because everything is typed up or online. And mm. anybody who has those recipe cards and you see the handwriting and the splatters, mm-hmm. I kind of feel bad for the next generation of not having as many of these personal mementos. I know. They're just going to have, you know, gunk covered on their iPads. It's too bad. <laughs> for her last meal, Valerie Bertinelli wants capelletti in Brodo, preferably handmade by her grandmother or her Aunt Adeline. Every single day in Italy, grannies in the north, south, east, and west are rolling out pasta dough and cutting it, folding it, twisting it, twirling it into the most fantastic shapes. Then they bathe it in some sort of delicious sauce and they serve it to the ones they love, most likely as the first course in a lunch meal, which we will get to later. London's Vicky Benison lives part-time in Italy, and after enjoying some of these special meals, she decided that they must be documented. Six years ago, she launched a project called Pasta Grannies. It's a YouTube channel, and now it's a book. It has just about half a million uh, subscribers on YouTube. What is the project about? It's about pasta, and it's about Italian grandmothers. I noticed uh, that it was only women over about 70 who were getting up and making pasta every day on a regular basis. And I thought, let's celebrate them. Let's make a record of their skills because people aren't stopping eating pasta but what and how they're eating it is changing and so I thought someone i.e me should make a record of it. Pasta Grannies may be my favorite account on Instagram. It's exactly what it sounds like. You get 
a daily dose of floral house dresses. You get like the grandma arms, you get moo's, you get frilly aprons, and then you get these super luscious looking gorgeous homemade pastas and they're often hyper regional shapes that you've never seen before. And Vicky says that Italians who live in other parts of the country may not have seen these pastas before either. She folds the pesto through the pasta and that's it. Mandili de sea with pesto. Mandili de sea means silk handkerchiefs. They're thin, delicate squares of pasta, in this case, rolled out with a rolling pin, which every one of the pasta granny videos I watch, they're always using a rolling pin, and mixed with a vivid green, fresh pesto made in a mortar and pestle. That's the joy of Italian cooking is it's so hyper-local. And if you show a pasta from Calabria to someone who lives in Liguria, they'll be mildly interested, but it wouldn't occur to them to make it. I mean, in fact, um, most of our grannies only learn to make two or three um, pastas to master them. Um, so their muscle memory is amazing. You know, they've all started making it when they were about five years old. It's all by eye and feel. No one uses a scale. <laughs> so, I'm sure there's two kinds of people out there, either the ones that are so proud and they want to show you and the ones that are like, what's the big deal? I'm just making lunch. Why would you ever want to see this? There's nothing special going on here. <laughs> what you just said is actually what the husbands think. It's like, why are you recording my wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're amazed. This is ordinary, you know. Um, so, yes, you're right. Um, the majority of our women say yes, in fact. Um, they never actually volunteer themselves. It's always through their grandchildren or their friends or, you know, the local mayor or, or whoever it is. They're the ones who suggest it. For those of us who live busy modern lives and buy our pasta in packages at a big grocery store, what these grannies are doing is pretty exotic. And it is very magical to watch. In the clip that I just played a little bit earlier, Granny Nadia milled her own flour to make this pasta. She heats a big pot of salted water on her wood-burning stove, and you see her, like, packing in the logs herself. She picks the basil fresh from her garden, and the grated pecorino cheese is, of course, made locally. None of this, of course, is hipster. This is just the way that it's done. This is the way that Granny Nadia has made pasta her entire life. But in all the videos I watched, the grannies use the most basic, old, sometimes these really banged up pots and pans. And I'm watching this and I'm like, dude, why do I have this expensive Le Creuset pot with its glossy turquoise enamel? I mean, it's beautiful and I love it. But like, these women are cooking way better food than I am. You don't need expensive cookware. I think a lot of us make the excuse that like, oh, if I had this, oh, if I had that, I would make this, I would do this. Just start making pasta because if the grannies can do it, you can do it too. You mentioned in the book that this might be a dying art. In Italy, just like, you know, where you live and I live, women work now, they have kids, they're multitasking, they're not staying at home like these grannies did, you know, making pasta all the time. Is there a worry that some of these unique shapes will just fade away and that the culture and the food might fade away if there aren't pasta grannies around any longer? Yes, it's an interesting one. I think um, it'll change. I, I mean, I think there will be pasta shapes um, that have already disappeared. And they're quite often associated with religious festivals or something like that. Um, and if they're popular, like Capoletti, um, you'll go and buy them rather than make them. So pasta making is being professionalized. And 
that's absolutely fine. That what's changing is people won't have that same muscle memory as these women have developed over 70 odd years. I found that the most popular age group for pastor grannies is actually 25 to 35. And I think that's because their grandchildren have discovered that actually you can do both. You can go out to work and you can enjoy pasta making at the weekends and in the evenings. Um, so there is a renewed interest in it. Whether they're as good as their grandmothers is, you know, a matter of practice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Capiletti in Brodo, which is Valerie's last meal. Well, my first question for Valerie is where did her granny come from? Because there's not just one Capiletti, there are several different styles of Capiletti um, in Italy. Capiletti um, is the plural, so it's a Capiletto when it's one. And you, you roll out your pasta very thinly and uh, you make a, something called a sfoglia, which is a pasta sheet. And then you cut it up into little squares and you then put little hazelnut-sized pieces of your filling, which can be cheese or it can be meat, meat mixed with more cheese, usually parmigiano. And then you fold it into a triangle and then you wrap it around your fingers. So you have something that looks like a headscarf and they call it capoletti, which means little hats. Capoletti in Brodo means the little stuffed pasta hats are served in a very clear meat broth, traditionally made from chicken, pork and veal. Vicky says the meat used to make the broth is either served as the main course or it's ground up and used as a pasta filling. The dish has been around since medieval times, not the one in L.A. that I went to in seventh grade, but like, you know, a really long time ago. And since it's a bit of a complicated dish and it uses, as Vicky says, lovely cheeses, it was historically a dish served to the wealthy. And capoletti traditionally was something that you um, had at Christmas time. Nowadays, people do it, um, eat it more often, but um, the whole family had to gather and um, make all the capoletti. <laughs> Can you talk about just the significance of pasta in Italy? I mean, do people really eat it every day? Like, what role does it have in their cuisine? Yes. Um, oh, that's a big subject. So uh, pasta making, I think, has became an Italian thing you know, in the last hundred years. It's not always been the case because in the North, people eat polenta and there's rice. That kind of idea of unifying around pasta is a relatively recent concept. And you'll have to talk to an Italian historian to get the actual dates around that. But on top of that, after the war, that whole idea of eating pasta every day because people became wealthier. Pasta actually used to be a celebratory thing that you would eat when you could afford it because if you didn't actually grow your own wheat and therefore have your own flour, you had to be able to afford to buy it. So it wasn't a given that everybody could make pasta and eat pasta on a daily basis. So it's quite a big subject, but certainly I think they're increasingly eating dry pasta, which is not a, a bad thing at all. Dry pasta is, uh, can be very good. And... It's easy. I mean, that's why the world loves pasta is because, you know, it gets people fed and it's delicious. <laughs> so one of the things that I love is that they tend to have pasta for lunch mm. and it tends to be like a multi-course weekend lunch. And I feel like in our country and a lot of places like in London, lunch is a throwaway. You know, during the week you eat at your desk and then on the weekend, are you cooking lunch? Like people make a sandwich, but we don't sit down and cook a lunch, which I think during quarantine, actually, a lot more people are. But 
it's always sounded so nice to me, like to sit down in the middle of the day, especially a weekday for people who work at home and cook yourself a hot lunch. Like, doesn't that have like a romanticized luxury to it? Yeah, it sounds amazing because we're from a culture that doesn't prioritize that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're all about busyness and productivity and getting it done. So food takes a back seat to whatever else it is we're doing. But cultures like Italy, they're like, no, 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 no. Everything stops. Shut it down. We're going to eat. And they they give it the attention uh, that it deserves. Yeah. And granted, they're not making a big dinner also. They have this big multi-course lunch. And then they have a little dinner, a little petite dinner. All right. So before I let Vicky go, I had one important personal question to ask her. Several years ago, I visited Italy and I went to the Cinque Terre region, which I don't know if I'm saying it right, but whatever. And while I was there, I had a pesto epiphany. So I've always thought that pesto was fine. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But in Cinque Terre, it is bright, almost neon green. It has a brighter flavor. And I realized then that the pestos here kind of taste muddy or a little bit dulled. And I've been chasing the dragon ever since. And I tried to bring home as much as I could. And I actually had most of it confiscated at the airport. And I cried. I cried in the airport. I was so upset about it. But I'm wondering what it is. Is it just the kind of basil that they grow there? Or is it the olive oil? Because like you said, they're using all these local ingredients because I haven't been able to recreate it at home. Yes, I, um, I think it, it is difficult. I've even tried in other parts of Italy to sort of, um, when I make pesto, it's always a different colour. Um, it is uh, definitely to do with the, the soils that the basil is grown in, in the Ligurian area. Yeah. I mean, you can make other pestos. <laughs> I know, but that one's the best. <laughs> the Rolling Stones said it best. You can't always get what you want. And included in that is pesto. Do you think Mick Jagger was talking about Ligurian pesto when he said that? I do. Anyway, I'm angry. I'm angry. (laughs) (laughs) I have no pesto. Actually, this is so crazy. I've been looking for good pesto for years. You know what the best one I've had is? And I've bought all these stupid little boutique ones and good restaurants. Costco pesto. What? Tastes the closest and looks the closest to Ligurian pesto. Highly recommend. It is so good. And this year I started putting it on matzah, which was a very weird combo. But trust me, that's where it's at. Okay, time for a quick break. No more culinary tips for you. But when we come back, it's the self-help portion of our show. Valerie talks about coming to terms with the one thing that is always mentioned about her in the tabloids. If you Google Valerie Bertinelli, a lot of the articles, I mean, almost every single article that comes up has to do with weight loss, weight gain, weight loss over and over throughout the years. And she used to be a spokesperson for Jenny Craig, so that might fit into it as well. But this year, Valerie is still talking about her weight, but she's coming at it from a new angle. I've got to come to the realization that I must love myself in the body that I am in today, no matter what I think it looks like and no matter how badly I judge it, but just be grateful for what I have in this world today. Valerie recently turned 60, and she's been very public about the fact that she lost her father. 
She says she's always used food as a coping mechanism, but now she's working hard to find a healthy relationship with eating. Her mantra of the year is choosing happy. I've been choosing happy my whole life, no matter if I was happy or not. One of those things about, you know, fake it till you make it. And I just realized by this age, I don't want to fake it till I make it anymore. I, I want to feel that pure joy that comes from just being alive, from just being grateful, from just appreciating what I've worked for and what I have in my life, as opposed to mild depression and anxiety that I seem to have live in my head. And there's got to be a way, and I know I'm not the only one that feels this way, to not have to fake it till I make it anymore, but really feel that. And then just appreciate the down days for what they are, that, it, you know, it's just your voice in your head needing to be heard because there's an old pain that needs to be soothed and soothing that without eating. And I'm, I'm learning a lot about the separation of the, the brain and the heart and the feelings. If I don't do the emotional work, I'll never lose the weight. I don't want it to be about just losing the weight. I want it to be more about finding my emotional sanity so that I can appreciate and love myself for who I am today and the body I am so that when I do lose the weight, it won't come back. And that was Valerie Bertinelli's Last Meal. Watch the new season of her Food Network show, Valerie's Home Cooking. So just before we started chatting, I received a very secret email of all of the shows that are coming up on the new season of your show. My eye immediately went to the episode that's called It's Catterday. And I I had read that you have six cats, which is my dream. You are living my dream right now. Oh my God. Um, Do you want any? Because I have too many. I don't know how this (laughs) happened. The two that just came to me recently was because my mother passed away and they were her cats. So I have a little piece of her with me but boy it's six boys it's a lot six boys and then sweet luna our dog she's a girl god bless her thanks to vicky benison author of the james beard award-winning cookbook pasta grannies it is one of the best cookbooks i've gotten in years i haven't cooked anything from it i may never cook anything but it's one of those cookbooks where the pictures everything looks so good that you just want to take it to bed and just drool all over it and ruin it (laughs) so pick it up seattle cookbook store book larder is doing free shipping right now everywhere in the u.s so get the book and support small businesses this episode was produced by laura scott and me recorded with aaron mason and our theme music is always by prom queen speaking of supporting artists you can buy her music on Bandcamp. make sure and follow along on instagram where your last meal podcast Give us a rating, write a review. Uh, If you've been following along with the Quarantine Cooking Club, we are taking a break right now. We needed a break, but now with what's going on in the world, it just doesn't feel right to post frivolous pictures of chicken wings. So maybe we'll come back. Maybe we won't. But thank you so much for all who participated. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. In the clip that I just played earlier, Granny Nadia, <laughs> Granny, yeah, that's her name. Sure. I haven't seen a Snapple for a long time. How about it? They got them downstairs. God, I see a Snapple and I want Sun Chips. That was like my ultimate combo. They also have Sun Chips. Mm, they do? Yeah. <gasps> I should go back to seventh grade. Wow, <laughs> wait.